Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device, featuring wireless sync. Download it free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now, episode 281, for Christmas week 2010, The Portable Dog Killer. Security Now is brought to you by Ford and voice-activated sync, featuring true hands-free calling, turn-by-turn directions, 911 assist, and more. Available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. And by MailRoute. Businesses of every size use MailRoute. One user or 50,000 users, it doesn't matter. MailRoute will protect you from spam and viruses, simplify your life, and make your email usable again. For more information and 10% off for the life of your account, visit MailRoute.info. Hello there. How are you? I am dressed a little bit oddly for Security Now, I know. And that's because this is a special edition of Security Now, our holiday edition. This is a, I mean, a big red-letter day. We've done Security Now. We're in our sixth year now, hundreds of episodes. Steve has never missed a week. Through rain, through snow, through sleet, through hail, through vacations, through Canada trips, no matter what, we've always done a new episode. And I finally convinced Steve to take the holidays off, to relax a little. And I think one of the reasons I was able to do that is because he really wanted to repeat this episode. I Clearly one of the most beloved episodes of Security Now. Security Now covers security issues, security news, explains how technology works. But this was a real departure. This was a story from Steve's childhood that really in many ways may end up being kind of our our twit Christmas story. There's no Christmas in it, but it's just such a wonderful story with such a wonderful uh, ending and moral uh, as well. Uh, You know the episode as the portable dog killer. If you haven't heard it before, gather the kids around and and we'll listen to this uh, together. Um, we are going to cut off the beginning part, you know, the tech news and all of that stuff, because it's not germane. Uh, it was several months ago. But I think you will enjoy this. The uh, Without further ado, Steve Gibson, the man at GRC.com, the host of Security Now, and a story from his youth, how he got started in this hacking business, the portable dog killer. We join the show already in progress. Yeah, I'm ready for the story of the dog that <laughs> ate the laser or whatever that is. <laughs> Okay, well, so it's 1971, and I'm 16 years old, a sophomore in high school. And we had a real problem with a dog in the neighborhood. Um, I don't know if this dog was clinically rabid or what its problem was, but it was about two blocks away from where I lived, and the... The people who owned this dog had sort of a um, an RV trailer or something parked in the backyard and and a fence which went right up to the sidewalk, which contained not only this RV, but this unbelievably vicious dog. And the the so the fence the 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 fence had a gate where sort of this driveway was um, right onto the road. But this was not like their main uh, garage entrance, and the the fence, the 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 two wings of this gate were pinned just at the bottom, so that it was sort of sort of sort of flapping open if there was any pressure on it. So what would happen was for I don't even know how long this was going on, but I mean it it was a serious problem. People walking by the sidewalk would virtually be attacked by this amazingly vicious dog. Um, I, I'm a dog person. I grew up with dogs. Um, I, I love dogs. I, you know, I, I actually, at the time of this going on, I had a red cocker, uh, redhead cocker spaniel. And um, so, so this, this dog was just unbelievable. It would, it would 
scare the bejesus out of people because they'd be walking on the sidewalk and this thing would hear them and come galloping through the backyard and lunge at the top of this gate, which looked like it was about to spring open. And I mean, the dog, I think it was a German shepherd. I can't quite remember the breed now, but I mean, it was big. And I mean, the, the owners, I, I don't know what could have been in their mind. They must have known this was a problem. They must have been getting complaints from people, but you know, times were different then, you know, dogs were not on leashes. Kids were not on leashes. I mean, you know, dogs roamed the streets. Um, it, you know, times were, as I said, this was 39 years ago. But finally one day, as I was coming around my block, there was this elderly lady. And I, I, th- th- this all happened in San Mateo up in Northern California, which is where I was in junior high and high school. And this dog scared the this elderly lady so much that she tripped and fell off the sidewalk into the street. I mean, it was that big a problem. It was just unbelievable. And so I thought, okay, I need to take matters into my own hands. This dog needs some training that that is not okay to, to rush people and lunge at the gate and look like it's about to jump over the gate. And the gate looks itself like it's, about to give way because it was only pinned at the bottom and wasn't closed at the top. So I thought in order to train this, this aberrant canine, um, I need to do something that will shock it. Something, give it an experience that is negative, which is completely outside of its normal, you know, daily experience. So I thought I need a, some sort of a sonic Loud sonic weapon. So, <laughs> oh, Steve, <laughs> I can see where this is going. <laughs> oh, this actually this has unforeseen consequences, which is part of the moral of this of this story. The case of the aberrant canine. So, um, my parents were um, divorced at the time, and my father and his wife living up in in in, in the city in San Francisco. So, my sister and I would jump on the train. Uh, Friday afternoons and take it up to San Francisco and then the trolley's over to the marina on the other side of the city where where, where dad and his wife were. And then Saturday mornings was sort of free-for-all time. Basically, it was kids, get out of the house, go play. Um, You know, I mean, as I said, times were different 40 years ago. And one of my favorite areas in the city was Mission Street. It was a couple blocks out of the city from Market. That's one of the main, you know, like Market Street's the main drag. And back then, Mission Street was lined with war surplus stores. And of I course, think it I'd, still is, actually. Is it still? Yeah, I, I think there's a bunch of Army surplus stores down there. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, I was, I was hacking when I was five. In fact, you know, on my resume page, there's a picture of me that dad took before I was five years old in the backyard building something with, you know, wiring circuits and things. I mean, I just had this drive from forever. So for me, I would just, I could spend hours in these war surplus stores. I mean, you know, know, radar sets, you know, dynamometers, all just, it was like nirvana for me. But this particular weekend, I was on a mission because I had to build some sort of a sonic beam weapon in order to deal with this dog. <laughs> so <laughs> was there no parental supervision at all? Not at all. None no, at they'd all. they'd given up. Yeah. I I beat them to <laughs> beat them senseless. No, they knew Steve. I they knew I was a good kid. They knew yeah. I was not going to, you no. know, get him into any real trouble. Right. I mean, you know, the boy scouts of America might disagree with that, but that's a story for a different time. <laughs> um I mean, most parents if they heard the phrase sonic weapon, <laughs> military s- surplus store, and dog might exhibit some concern. Yeah, mom Mom just no. said, okay, you know, Whatever, I don't Steve. know what you're doing. Just, you know, don't <laughs> kill yourself. So, um, so I found the pieces I needed. I don't know if it was over one week or several visits, but I found this amazing, uh, like, 
grip from like maybe a helicopter trigger handle or something. But I mean, it was a it was a gun grip with a switch in it, which is like, okay, perfect. And I needed a transducer, some sort of a high frequency, high power transducer and rummaging around in these bins with my sister sort of in tow. She's two years younger than me. So she was 14 and just sort of, you know, following Big Brother around. I found a some sort of a piezo. It was in like a black steel casing, a piezoelectric crystal with this with a pointed silver dome. And I said, oh, that looks like the right kind of thing. So, you know, none of this cost anything. It was 50 cents for this, two bucks for something else. And so, so I got those things. I also found a, just a perfect photo flash parabolic reflector that who's at at the widest part, it was probably about maybe 10 inches um, in diameter. It's very Tom Swift here. Oh, this, I mean, this, this is what happened. And so, when I, then I needed a body for it. And in San Mateo, down on 42nd Avenue, was like a real electronic store, not like a Radio Shack that was just kind of cheesy. This was 42nd Avenue Electronics. And so I found a, a steel little mini box. to I think it was like two inches by two inches by six to be the body of the gun. And, and then set about building this sonic weapon. There was a, a chip at the time that called the 555, the NE555. I think Signetics in, uh, in, innovated this thing. It was this incredibly so, versatile oscillator. What year was this? 1971. Oh, this, this is very early in yeah. terms of microprocessors. Yeah. Oh, we didn't have those. No. No, no, no. I mean, and my first job was, it might have been this same year uh, or the year after uh, with, this is where I encountered the PDP-8 for the uh-huh. first time. Uh-huh. So... So I built an oscillator, and uh, and I, I I wanted the frequency to be. I mean, I understood that dogs have very sensitive hearing, and they're able to hear outside of the range that we can. You know, like, like the classic dog whistle, where you, you you know we blow it, and the dogs perk up. We sort of hear maybe like like you know air blowing, or maybe we can get a sense of something. But mm. on the other hand, I didn't want it to be supersonic because. I wanted to know if it was working. So I wanted to be able to hear it too. So I pitched it somewhere like around 15 kilohertz as my guess, way high, but still audible to us. And I had a, a, um, I remember that I had power settings. Remember that at this time, you know, Star Trek was happening. And so, of course, they had phasers. And so I was obviously modeling this on something sort of that I'd seen in, you know, in science fiction. So I had, I remember a knob on the back with, it had four positions um, off just so, you know, you wouldn't hit the trigger by mistake. And then three power settings. What I, and I had three different colored dots that I got the stationary store, a green dot, a yellow dot, and a red dot. And this thing had three nine volt transistor radio batteries in it. So the green dot gave it nine volts on, on the output stage. The yellow dot was 18 volts, and the red dot was 27 volts. All three batteries ganged in series. And so I assembled the oscillator, built the output, the power amplifier stage that was transformer coupled to this um, piezoelectric uh, uh, transducer, and, and it worked. Then I built this thing together, you know, mounted the the pistol grip on the bottom of the box, the this perfect photo flash parabolic mirror on the front and then positioned the um, transducer in the focus of the parabolic mirror so that it would it would work and the the machine was finished now back then i was 16 i called this the portable dog killer Not worried too much about SEO, I guess. Well, exactly. <laughs> or police. Um, and, and, I mean, or the again, ASPCA. I'm, I'm, it wasn't that I wanted to kill this dog. Certainly not. Um, but the dog would have killed anybody who walking by if it could get loose. I mean, this thing was out of control. So the name was more inspired by the fact that the dog was the killer than, than that this was going to do any killing. I just wanted to teach the pooch that it's not safe any longer to go lunging at passersby. I mean, literally, I mean, the, the, the fence was at the edge of the sidewalk. And, I mean, this, this was a hazard to, to, to public health. And, fa- and frankly, I was probably saving the dog's life, or I hoped to, 
by training it not to do this. Because sooner or later, something horrible was going to happen, and the dog would be put down. So, I mean, it, it would just, it would, that dog would be destroyed. So, um, this thing, oh my God, it really worked. Two things I remember about it vividly is I was surprised by how quiet it was off axis. That is, it really did, this parabolic mirror really did focus the beam of sound that it produced um, so that it, you know, it wasn't, it didn't hurt you at all to like be behind it Mm -hmm. to be the shooter or even to the side. But boy, (laughs) when you aim this at yourself, it was, it made the weirdest sensation. There was, I think it was You felt it. You didn't hear it, but you felt it. Well, there was like this, yes. No, no, you also heard it. I mean, it was pitched down low enough that it was, I mean, it was really loud. But something about the phasing of it with your ears, it made this weird sort of like bone crunching (sighs) feeling in the middle of your head. Oh, dear. It was just strange. Anyway, I thought, well, this ought to do the trick. (laughs) I hope you're enjoying the story of the portable dog killer. I know I am. It's really worth hearing again and again. Uh, we'll get right back to it in a moment, but I do want to thank our friends at Ford for sponsoring Security Now and all of our shows on Twit. Uh, Ford has been such a, a blessing to us, and we've had such a great relationship. This was the year we went out uh, to see Ford and the Ford plant in Dearborn, Michigan. We saw the incredible Rouge plant that Henry Ford built 100 years ago to make Model Ts. Uh, we saw the new green roof, the eco roof that they have uh, on many of their plants out there. and. Uh, got to take a ride on the test track. I got to crash a flex into a Fiesta. I'm not going to leave that down for a while. And uh, <laughs> had a lot of fun. And the Maker Fair was out there too. So Ford really has been a great partner. And uh, I expect we're going to be going back to Dearborn and doing more things with Ford uh, very soon. I'll tell you one thing I know I'm going to be doing with Ford soon is going to Madrid. I'll tell you about that. You could be going too in just a second. But before I do, I'd like to talk a little bit about my favorite subject, the Ford Sync. You know you've heard me talk about Sync so many times. It's in my Mustang. It's in many Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. And it is just a fantastic way to keep you know your connections to the outside world and yet still pay attention to what you're doing, which is driving a car. You keep your hands on the wheel at all times, your eyes on the road at all times, but you can listen to music. You can uh, playback text messages on, the, on some phones. You can make calls. Uh, you can change the climate. You can ask for movie times and, uh, and gas prices. Get turn-by-turn directions, 911 assist, and more. It really is like, like Kit, that smart car from Knight Rider. You're talking to your car, and it's responding to you. Ford Sync works so well. I want you to try it. And the best way to do that is to go to a Ford Lincoln or Mercury dealer and say, I want to test drive the Ford Sync. Uh, you got some great vehicles to choose from. You can get the Sync in the Ford Edge, uh, the Focus, the uh, Fiesta, the Fusion. There's some really nice vehicles. But whatever you do, make sure the Sync is in it when you when you test drive it so you can play with that too. You know, it's funny. They love showing off the Sync. Every time I go over there, they say, can we show you the Sync? And most dealerships will have one guy who's like the Sync expert. Get him to show you all the ropes because there's a lot to it. The great Ford Sync. You can find out more at uh, SyncMyRidePodcast.com. Now, let's talk a little bit about Madrid. So you probably know about the Ford Focus. This is their new global vehicle. For the first time ever, Ford's going to have one model available worldwide. They've really taken the state of the art in auto design, in technology, and put it in one vehicle, the new 2012 Focus. I've seen it. I've, I've sat in it. I have not driven it. It is mind-blowing with these great engines Ford's using, this super state-of-the-art technology. Of course, not only sync, but the higher-end My Ford Touch with a big 8-inch screen in the center console, the two screens behind the steering wheel. I mean, I, I could go on and on. This Focus is something. And you could be test-driving it in Madrid. They're going to take some viewers, some listeners to Twit, and take them to Madrid, give you a chance to be one of the first ever to test drive the Ford Focus. I'll be there, too. It should be a lot of fun. You can get this all-expense-paid for you and a friend and... $10,000 for the charity of your choice. But you've got to do it before the end of the year. So before December 31st, 2010, go to twitfordfocus.com. It's a Facebook page. Instructions are there. You need to make a two-minute video on why you should go to Madrid, what your charity of choice is. Twitfordfocus.com. Do, it, do this right now. Don't put it off because I want to see you in Madrid. We're going to drive the Ford Focus together. And, uh, yeah, we'll, if you drive with me, we'll make sure you have a, a crash helmet because, well... You've heard what happened in Dearborn. All right, let's get back to 
Steve Gibson and the Portable Dog Killer Part 2. So I, you know, snuck up to the gate the first time and did, you know, here, doggy, <laughs> or something to the effect. And I heard, grum, 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 and as, as it always did. And I blasted it in the face point blank. Ooh. Now, the dog made now, a Now, it's sound. not lethal. We should emphasize. It's not lethal. No, and the dog was never hurt. Nothing. I mean, it wouldn't hurt ants. It might make them go around in circles, but right. it wouldn't, wouldn't right. hurt them. The dog's legs collapsed. I mean, they fell out, it, you know, fell to the ground and then, and then ran as fast as it possibly could away. So, so I thought, okay, round one. And an hour later, I came back and like, you know, nudged the fence a little bit. And I heard, grum, 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 rah, and I blasted it again. And this went on for a couple oh, hours. Oh, and then I remember. We are not like, recommending this. And we will not. This may not be your first blog post is the plans for this device. No. So <laughs> I don't want the ASPCA calling me. Well, like I said, this ended up. Working out well for the dog. I really believe. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because a few hours later, I, I went up to the fence, and the dog didn't attack. And I will never forget, carefully, because, I mean, this thing was really, this would have taken your head off, peeking over the fence, and there was the dog. I could, I could see its nose and one eye peering fearfully around the, the, the corner of the house. There's something over there. I don't know so, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was delighted with this, and it, I think it took about three days before the first shot of the day wouldn't, you know, like the dog was realizing, okay, this is just not something I'm going to be able to continue doing. This has been its its favorite thing, attacking people for who knows, I mean, for months or years. I mean, it was sort of a known problem in the neighborhood, and it was finally when he when I saw. A block away, this poor elderly lady literally blown off the sidewalk. Oh, I said, okay, yeah. this is not okay. Yeah. So, so that was done. Now, my buddies at school had sort of been aware of the project. I was telling them what I was doing. <laughs> Steve, you must have been such a cool kid. I am so, this is so cool. <laughs> so they wanted to see this. Sure they did. <laughs> so it was, I figured, okay, it's show and tell day. So I brought the portable dog killer to high school. Um, before first period, the gang had gotten together. I would, we had what we called the MRC gang, which was the math resource center. In other words, this is Nerds. the geek, this is the Geeks. nerd, <laughs> the nerd group of the high school the math resource center group. Oh boy. <laughs> and, uh, I don't remember which one of us it was, but um, we had a real problem in the school, and I, I need to explain a little bit about the structure of the school, the layout, because this comes into play here in a little bit. Um, Aragon High School in San Mateo was in the form of it like a huge square donut. Um, so it was hollow in the middle, and there was an Olympic-sized swimming pool and some other concrete sort of on a lower level. And then sloping up from the lower level up to the normal class level was this huge green lawn with some trees. And, you know, we called it the quad because it was a quadrangle. And, and then in the inner perimeter was sort of sidewalk and against the wall were all of the student lockers. So it was this, you know, large square structure one single structure was the entire high school within classes all around the outer perimeter um and sort of going down in, in spoked halls from this center quad well um I, we had a problem with seagulls um you know we're not far from the ocean i don't really know where the seagulls came from but you know they were constantly circling around and, you know, no doubt looking for, law, for, for, you know, potato chips or unguarded sandwiches or, you know, scraps of food that students would, would leave behind. And, of course, unfortunately, they create a big mess just with their own droppings. Someone, and I don't remember now who, uh -oh. <laughs> shot a seagull with the portable dog killer. I want to under emphasize at this point for those just tuning in. The name dog killer is euphemistic. Euph um, it doesn't 
kill. It's a sonic blast that is harmless. Yes, it's but annoying. Son- yes, it's well. What it did was it nearly knocked the seagulls out of the sky. <laughs> now we're thir- we're, we're oh, sixteen dear. years old. Oh dear. Pong won't be invented for another year. Oh, no. Until 1972. Oh, no. We had no video games. Until now, we didn't have any kind of a beam weapon. We saw it on Star Trek, of course. Now we had one, and it shot birds. Now, it didn't kill them, but it definitely, it definitely surprised them. <laughs> and this was the best thing that had ever happened to us. Because it was like, you know, something was reacting to this. Sure. It was fantastic. The non-lethal bird stunner. Yes, it was fantastic. And so Aragon High School was the, uh, doing, performing an experiment in the district. This was the second year of what was called flexible scheduling, more like college scheduling. Instead right. of all students being in classes, periods one through seven, we had blocks of free time scattered throughout the day, Set, different yes. times and different days of the week. Santa Cruz High did that too when I was okay. there at the same time. Yep. And um, so very what trendy. happened, what ha- yeah, very trendy, and we loved it. And um, what happened was that meant that various of us in the gang had free time in different slots. So then it became a matter <laughs> of handing the gun oh, from, from one to the other and basically, we would, in small groups that were free during that period, lay on the grass for having target practice. Oh, man. You know, shooting seagulls, which was just fantastic. You know, I mean, they, they, each seagull reacted a little differently, but there was definitely a reaction. I mean, you knew when you got a shot off. And uh, so that's the way we spent the day. It was just, you know, it, we were having the time of our life. So... At this time, I was, um, I was creating curriculum for the third year of electronics. Um, the high school had electronics one and two, which was the first two semesters of the first year, which taught basic electrical theory using tubes, unfortunately. And the, the, the professor, uh, Harold Farron, uh, was a neat guy, old, gnarly, ex-Navy guy. And tubes was what he knew. For him, transistors was a big deal. He wasn't quite sure about them. That was electronics three and four in the second year of electronics. And, of course, this was, I felt like I died and gone to heaven to actually be in school taking electronics. I mean, here, I, I, mean, I already knew electronics. I'd force-fed myself Apparently, this stuff. yeah. Um, you know, years before. But now I was actually getting credit for it. And... <laughs> And had a lot of enthusiasm for it. And at one point, I said to him, I guess in, our, in my second year, as a, that, I mean that year, my sophomore year, I said, Mr. Farron, why, you know, what about digital electronics? Why, why, you know, it's nice that we learned about tubes last year and transistors are good, but the future is digital. And he said, well, I don't know digital. Mm. And I said, well, it's really not that hard. And he said, well, why don't you teach it? Wow. And so during the during my sophomore year, I created an entire curriculum for third year electronics which we created there and I heard years later that it had, it had gone district wide and was being taught throughout the whole oh, San Mateo Union High School district. That's so neat. So the point of this is that after school I would go into the electronics lab and work on this stuff. And I had free reign. I'd I'd come to the attention of the administration very early on. I think it might have been the incident with the shock machine. I'm not quite sure what the, the first shock machine. Oh yeah, well that's that's another, another story. story. <laughs> but um, so but you know, Mr. Farron knew that he could trust me, and he would leave and leave the doors locked. And I just my my wow. re- requirement was just oh yeah. I mean I was trusted. Um, just to you know, make sure that I'd pull the door behind me. So the this afternoon of the of the the sonic beam weapon, uh, I was probably leaving around four thirty, and so the school was completely deserted. Nobody there. I mean, literally, I completely empty. The whole quad was empty. I went to my locker, got the books that I needed, 
got the, the portable dog killer out of the locker, which where I had stowed it at the end of seventh period. And to this day, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, no. <laughs> because I saw on the far other side of the quad, yeah. Mr. Archibald, mm. the assistant principal. Mm-hmm. And so... no. There was good no. cover where I was. <laughs> no. We had these big concrete no. containers for the garbage and big cement planters. And so I crouched down behind one of these garbage cement garbage can containers and shot Mr. Archibald oh, dear. with the portable dog killer. Oh dear. Now, I mean, it was a long way away, he was. And I was hidden. Um, what completely jarred me was his reaction. You would think that, you know, a regular person being shot at great distance by a sonic beam weapon would be a little confused. They'd look around, kind of like look up maybe. It's like, what is going on? Not Mr. Archibald. Gibson! No, he couldn't see me. So, I mean, I was hidden. I I was undercover. Yeah. He spun around. And that's what took my breath away. It's like, oh, my God. I just, I didn't expect a reaction like that at all. And and he stood there motionless, trying to take in the entire scape of this, this huge high school quad. Um. And he just, he was motionless and he was looking for, for like anything. And so I'm thinking, oh my God. So, you know, I, I was, I'm probably starting to shake at this point, but I kept my cover and, and he stood there slowly looking from side to side. And then, you know, I, you know, he appeared to give up and he turned back around and continued walking in the direction he had been before. And I've gotten word that a child is using his imagination, and I've come to put a stop to it. <laughs> Principal Skinner, on his way. So I stood up and started to get the heck out of the quad. He, But I kept one eye on him, of course, because the, he was the danger. Oh, yeah. Well, he faked me out. Oh. He spun around again and saw me and pointed at I me. I saw that. <laughs> pointed at me and then beckoned with his other oh, hand. Oh, dear. So He's smart. How do you know? Oh, this is, well, you know. I guess you he, were well he, known by now. He, well, yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> and so we met about halfway in front of the office wing. And he, and I, I was doing everything I could with my body language to have this gun be as inconspicuous as possible. What did it, it, it had this parabolic thing. Oh, it wasn't inconspicuous at all. Yeah. I mean, it was clearly a <laughs> like gun. A, a ray gun. You know? I mean, I, it was a ray gun. So that's the way I, I, that's the way I designed it. You know, with a power control oh, knob geez. on the back, with you know, green, yellow, and red, and a oh. big reflector out the front. So, so it was dangling at my side as sort of as inconspicuously as possible. So we approached, and he looked at me and he said, "Stephen," mm. and I said, "Hello, Mr. Archibald." And, he's, and he looked down at it and then back at me and said, what is that? Oh, boy. And I said, um, <laughs> well, it's a, it's a sonic beam gun. <laughs> I wasn't going to use its real name. <laughs> and he said, I see. I see. And did you just shoot me with it? <laughs> And I said, uh, yes, sir, I did. <laughs> well, you're very honest, Steve. That's good. Oh, yeah. I'm, you know, and I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> there wasn't much, there wasn't much choice of answer. No, I mean, no, I didn't shoot you, no, sir, no, uh uh-uh. oh. <laughs> At this point. And so he said, and where did you get that? Mm. And I said, I, I built mm. it. Alien he said, technology. you designed it? Wow. I said, yes. And he said, Why? <laughs> So I gave an abbreviated version of the the dog story about uh, training this dog yeah. to not attack people any longer that were walking by on the sidewalk. And he said, and was that successful? 
I said, it was. <laughs> and he said, and you brought it to school this morning. Mm. I said, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And he said, and were you shooting it all day long? Mm. And I said, um, well, it turns out that it, uh, it also shoots seagulls. And it pretty much knocks them out of the sky. And he said, I see. And so I said, you know, my, my friends and I, he said, the MRC gang. I said, mm. oh, you know about that? Mm. He says, I know everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, yeah, we were sort of handing it, you know, around during our various free periods for target practice. And he said... I, I, oh, and I, and I said, I, you know, it didn't seem to be a problem. He said, oh, we'll be talking about problems in a minute. And he said, um, we began getting phone calls <gasps> in the morning. Oh, dear. From teachers all over the school. Oh, dear. Who were reporting high-frequency sounds. <laughs> They didn't know what was wrong. They thought maybe the heater system had gone on the, on the blink. And I said, oh. And he, and he said, so we called the district engineers. Oh, boy. And, uh, and they came out, and they heard these sounds, too. We heard sure. them in the office wing as well. Everyone was hearing them. And they thought maybe it was the ultrasonic alarm system that protects the school had gone on the fritz and of course we couldn't we couldn't close down the school with an alarm system that wasn't functional because there'd be all kinds of consequences for that so they worked on the alarm system trying to figure out if it had gone wonky somehow all right we're going to wrap up steve's story the portable dog killer and i i want you to hear the end because steve really talks about I don't want to say the moral, but I guess it is the moral of the story, the real, the real message of the story. And I think it's one we all can learn from. But we will get to that in just a little bit before we go any further. I want to just remind you about my friend Tom Johnson. I met Tom at a family camp in 2004, and uh, a great guy. Uh, Tom uh, uh, spent a lot of time in his cabin <laughs> that summer, and I and I wasn't really sure what he was doing. So I said, "What's up?" He said, "I'm a programmer and I'm writing software." I said, "Well, Tom, tell me about it. I'm I'm really interested." And he said, "Well, I found a way to fight spam. I've got a new product that I think is the best anti-spam program I've ever done." Now, Tom's pretty well known in the industry as the designer of FrontBridge. Microsoft bought the program for from him. They call it now. They call it Microsoft Hosted Exchange Services. I mean, this is this guy knows stuff. He worked with John Postel at USC. Uh, he's an internet pioneer, and he found a way to clobber spam. Well, I was a little skeptical. Back in 2004, I was spam-ridden on my server. So I said, well, I'd like to try it, and he set me up. I've been using MailRoute, his product, ever since. Six years now, Tom tells me over 6 million spam messages clobbered in that time. Over the last 12 months... I got 970,000 spam messages, 30,000 good messages. I never saw a one of those spam messages. I didn't have to because MailRoute got them even before they hit my server. It saves traffic to your inbox, saves you time, heartache. I tell you, MailRoute is amazing. Now, most of you as individuals probably have anti-spam solutions, whether it's Gmail or uh, Hotmail or Yahoo Mail, maybe from your ISP. But if you run a server, you know you need some anti-spam solution. Um, this is a great choice. Big or small business, uh, many universities use it. Uh, I've been using it for years, and I can vouch for it. 10% off for the life of your account. Accounts start as, uh, as low as uh, $2 per user, um, and, the, and they go down the more users you have. Um, and I think there's a $20 minimum, although Tom's waiving that for people who want to just try it for themselves as well. So you can find out all about this at MailRoute.info, MailRoute dot info and that's the site to use for twit listeners because you get 10 percent off if you sign up from that site so a tip of the hat to tom johnson who's done a great job fighting spam and has kept me spam free since 2004 now the final segment and the uh and the moral of the portable dog killer episode with steve gibson so 
Now we know what it was. Yeah. It was you, you and your sonic beam weapon. <laughs> he said, I guess I'm glad you shot me because the mystery is solved. <laughs> he said, now, I want you to take that home. Oh. And I don't want to ever see it or hear it again. I'm amazed he did not confiscate it. He did not. Well, he knew me. I mean, yeah. you know, I was... You were a I good was, kid. I was a good kid. I'm sure that... You know, I'd, I'd, I'm sure that the office knew I had permission even to stay in the right. electronics lab after hours right. and, and all that. Because, I mean, Farron was very much by the book, being ex-Navy. He was not liked by most students who thought he was way too rigid. Right. I just thought he was great. So um, I took the gun home, put it on the shelf. Um, my friends and I were all very disappointed. They were sure. all anticipating many more days <laughs> of target practice, although to be fair, I have to say that by the end of the day, there really weren't so many seagulls any longer circling around overhead. Mm. Train and, them uh, too, I guess. Well, I, I think they decided <laughs> this is not where we want to be. No. So that's the story of the portable dog killer. Steve, what a great story. And the when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the email that that I've received during the podcast from young listeners mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. wonder, you know, how to get going, how to get started. What, you know, what would I recommend? How do they differentiate themselves? And the second employee at Gibson Research Corporation, of the, one of the most brilliant engineer programmers I've ever known, a guy named Steve Rank, um, went on to found a couple gaming companies. He has one now called Specular hmm. Entertainment. His first one was was uh, Swing and Apes, which he sold to Blizzard. Oh. Um, and what what stood out in my mind about Steve actually is w w really that, like me, he was building things from the beginning. Nothing could stop him from building things. He was you know involved. He, you know, I mean, I heard about all the projects that he had built, much as I had as a kid. It's a good and, sign, isn't it? Well, that's my point, yes, is clearly there were incredible unintended consequences from my creating this, this gun to train this incredibly vicious, ferocious dog. Um, but that's what happens when you build things. Um, Nothing happens if you're sitting behind a screen shooting aliens in a video game. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, doesn't happen. All the discoveries that have been made have been made by people experimenting. Do something. You know, yeah. you know Tesla was building all kinds of things. And it's you, you can't know what you're going to learn until you're confronted by it. You've got problems. You've, something happens you don't expect. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how opportunity rich the environment is. But if you're not in it, you're not going to get the opportunity. And so what I would encourage people to do, I mean, I, I, you know, Steve and I are still good friends. and We get together every so often and we, we sort of reminisce about the projects that we built and, and think to each other, can you imagine being a 10-year-old now what opportunities with all the stuff yeah. there is i mean there's these things programmable gator rays um which are just amazingly powerful where you can use software to program logic in like softly in this i mean there, I, I don't know what i would i mean there just isn't enough hours in the day as it is for me but if i were a 10-year-old or 12-year-old or 15-year-old you know, I would say, turn off the video game. That's doing nothing. Build something. Build anything. Um, I mean, the 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 feedback you get, the 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 fun, but mostly the discovery. You will end up discovering things that you know you cannot predict. You cannot know about. That's the nature of it. But um, I, you know, I just think that's that's something that that our pasteurized world has sort of lost a little bit of. I mean, this sounds like a wild story. I guess it was probably a little wild in 1971, but 
probably not as wild as it it sounds today. Today, uh, the uh, Department of Homeland Security would be coming to your door. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's a very good. You know, I even have in a very small way a similar uh, story, and it did start for me with video games. I got an Atari twenty six hundred, but what the game did is made me think. Oh, I want to know how this works. And uh, soft, it doesn't have to be a physical thing you're building. It's easy to build software. Oh, yes. In fact, that's where I've switched to. Yeah. It, yes. And everybody has an opportunity now for free. There's so many great choices. There's Alice.org, a great way to start littler kids on uh, on object-oriented programming. And there's so many things out there. Just, yeah, I think, but I think there has to be that little seed in your brain, which you obviously have, Steve obviously has, where... You get inspired. Just, I want to make something. So I, I, and I think there will always be people doing that. I think it's a, a it's, it's a, maybe it's a matter of empowerment. I mean, now I will say that my dad did encourage me. I mean, one of the things that I did when I was five, we would go down to the, to the docks in Oakland and buy a hunk of electronic gear coming off of the, the, um, you know, naval ships down there. And we, you know, they, they hung it on a fish hook, a big, huge fish hook, and you paid for it by the pound. And the car looked like a, you know, like its suspension had gone broke in the back because this thing was in the trunk. And we'd bring it home and he'd sit it in the middle of the garage and he'd say, okay, go at it. I mean, there was nothing I wanted to do more than yeah. tear that thing apart. And, and he says that he knew that you know, I was internalizing the work right. of the country's best engineers as I was taking this apart. And he thought that someday I would start putting things back together again. And, you know, it turned out that was sort of the path I took. But um, so there, there has to be, I think, some encouragement. Um, but but as you said, also some spark. And, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing could stop me from from this kind of inquiry. And so I would just encourage encourage people to to get involved to do something i mean something proactive something creative not just passive because passive nothing's going to happen that way i think that it's probably the case that there are people who just don't have that spark and they're gonna you know look we need we need people to flip burgers uh and those people you know not everyone's going to be a maker but boy if you see that spark in a kid just encourage it don't discourage yeah. it yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great lesson. And you know what? Thank goodness that Vice Principal Archibald, hmm. um, you know, didn't beat you up over this. He knew, he sensed that this was something that was appropriate for you to do. He made sure well, you and, didn't and, do it at the school. <laughs> yes, and, and he understood. It was completely unforeseen. There was no way I could know. Right. Or that, oh, I forgot to tell you one thing. He said, as I was, as I was leaving... With the you know with, with the gun and and having being breathing a big sigh of relief, he said, "Oh, there's one thing, Steve." I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Next time something appears to go wrong with the high school, we're going to track you down first. <laughs> we're calling you." <laughs> I think that's just, a I think that's wise. Just because I mean he went through so much trouble. <sighs> I mean you know bringing people engineers out from the district crawling around to figure out what had gone wrong with the heaters and yeah. then with the ultrasonic alarms. I mean I don't want, like to think about the expense that they went through, but he realized had they just said Steve, are you doing anything strange today? <laughs> what are you up to there, Mister yeah. G? <laughs> oh. uh, I think that's just a wonderful story, and uh, I. I would have to ask. I don't suppose you still have the portable dog killer. I, I have a lot of my paraphernalia. I've got. I did do uh, helium neon laser guns later in life, and I have some of those. But um, I don't know what happened to this. Um, I you know I went to Berkeley and then moved to Southern California. And at one point there was. I actually had a lab upstairs in San Mateo. That's where this was built. Was in Steve's. You know, I'd be in the lab as they put it. You know, when I was called for dinner, uh, which is where I built this. So. Um, and it was just sort of an extra room that I commandeered. I said, okay, this is mine. This is, this is you know, my space. I need a lab. <laughs> so um, at one point there was a purging of all the stuff I'd left uh, behind. Yeah, of course. And I think that, yeah. that that happened. I mean, I can see it clearly in my mind. And, of course, many people were witness to all this craziness. But And uh, my life was a series of wacky adventures like that. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll share one every so often. I love that spirit. And, you know, they, 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 we celebrate that spirit today with the maker. 
Make Magazine, the Maker Fairs, and there is this notion about of making, which is focused, I think, on physical making, which is a great thing. But but it's it's fine to make with software. In fact, more than ever, we need software, uh, and that's at a perfectly appropriate. And I think kids and it should costs learn nothing. Cost nothing. nothing. It, uh, you don't get your hands dirty, and most of the time, the principal doesn't confiscate well, your program. And frankly, when people have asked me, and I've said this before on this show. How do I learn this language? How do I learn this or how do I learn that? My my answer is solve a problem yeah. with it. Yes. That is, you just can't sit there. I mean, reading a book about a Abstract language is, is, not good. is dry. Yeah. yeah. So come up with something you want to do and make yourself do it in that language. I mean, and it, 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 there's no hurry. There's no deadline. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. Just start. And when you start, the rest will flow. Such a great moral. I hope, you know, anybody listening to this show is probably in that category of maker and doer. And, uh, and I mean, you wouldn't be listening to this show if you didn't have that spark. But, but it's good for us to remember. Spread it around. Let others get involved. We're going to, uh, I want to um, uh, sponsor at my kid's high school a first team, the robotics competition this oh, fall. Because that's yep. an, an example of, it's an institute. You know, it's truth is it's better if the kid does, goes off and does it on his own and gets in trouble like you did. But... Failing that, at least if there's some sort of institutional uh, encouragement to do that and some opportunity to do that, that's a, that's a good get you started. Well, and it does, frankly, it does fit today's world more than than, than building, you know, sonic beam weapons. Yes, fits today's world. Yes. So, oh, I love that story. The portable dog. I have. A, you know what? We, we just got to play this every Christmas. It's going to be the Christmas episode of Security Now. I hope you listen to Security Now or watch it. We do the show live. Uh, every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern at live.twit.tv. And, of course, you can always watch after the fact. Uh, it's on iTunes. It's everywhere podcasts are. It is a really, I have to say, it's our geekiest show. If you want real hardcore tech info, nobody does it better than Steve. We've got tech updates, uh, rather security updates, patch news, um, news about the security world. And, of course, almost every episode, we either answer questions from viewers uh, or uh, Steve will explain a, a complex security topic. In fact, I really think many of these shows are evergreens. If you if you go back through the uh, catalog and you'll find it all at twit.tv slash SN, um, you can listen to this and really become an expert, not just on security, but on computing in general. It's a real, I'm just very proud of this show. And uh, Steve does such a great job. Security Now. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, all of us, for all of you for uh, watching us this past year. And uh, we look forward to a great 2011 together. We know there'll be plenty of security to talk about. So have a happy new year, uh, a Merry Christmas if you celebrate, and uh, we'll see you next year right here on Security now.